Dark Channel presents Noxo The Case Files of Joshua Chambers A crime drama set in the supernatural world of the Dark Charm universe and the havoc in Baltimore, Maryland and beyond. Episode 5 The Catacombs of Baltimore The more things change, the more they stay the same. As soon as I started back with Detective Long, we were given an order to assist the Southern District with a case that was confusing the hell out of them. It was bad enough that we had our own cases to work on, but my expertise with the paranormal seemed to now spread like an infectious disease over the precincts, and now I have been asked to advise the Southern District of a situation that had happened in Fort Armistead Park. Basically. They were dubbed the Baltimore Catacombs. I remember going there as a kid, and it looked bad then. It probably looked worse now, considering that there's never been a steady mission to actually clean up the joint. Every administration I've come across ignored this park to in instead focus on the other ones. I had a feeling that I was going to have to go to Hawkins Point at some point. That was the location, but not the actual case. Dispatch got an anonymous call three weeks ago from someone who had found a dead body inside of Fort Armistead. The person making the call, unknown if it was male or female, found the victim, a homeless white man intoxicated on heroin, and a woman who had a mixture of blood and urine covering her. They took samples of the fluids for DNA and took her to Cherry Hill. When the boys of the Southern District questioned her, found out her name was Annabelle Graves, she said that she was so out of it that she couldn't look at who had killed her friend and had drenched her with bodily fluids. Figures. The corpse belonged to her boyfriend, Joe Smith. That title was tentative because she knew nothing about him. The theory I got from the detectives there was that she was a prostitute, and poor Joe was a John. He had no ID. How many Joseph Smiths could there be in this world? Dental records were not reliable because he had no teeth in his mouth. Finally, we got a ding on his DNA records to identify him. He had a sample still in the database from an arrest in 2010. He was originally a patient at the Crownsville Mental Facility. I knew all about Crownsville. My father was there the last years of his life. Mental breakdown. The Crownsville Mental Hospital closed down in 2004, and Joe got shipped to Shepherd Pratt at Taylor Manor instead of Spring Grove. A year later, he disappeared off of their radar. He'd left the hospital, got hooked on heroin, and he wandered the streets homeless. Now he was dead. The body was found with several slice wounds for a knife. Seven stab wounds were counted. This sounded just like a regular homicide case. Why did they need me? An officer, Mark Sharp, who went to do another assessment of the scene, ended up disappearing. A day later, he was found dead hanging in the catacombs upside down, and he was skinned alive with six stab wounds in his chest. The closer anyone got to the body, the more the electronics that were on their person shorted out, or went dead completely. Karen and I arrived at the park at dusk. All the people in and around the catacombs of Fort Armistead were cleared out. The state told them that it was due to a structural inspection. Well, that was a lie, but a constructive one. 
Karen got out of the car and immediately she was greeted with the smell of trash, dead fish, and cigarette smoke. Oh, oh dear God. I got out of the car, being used to the smell since I was a kid, I just shook it off. Let me guess, you don't live near the water or near an industrial area like this, huh? No. Uh, I lived in Columbia. It didn't smell like this. At most, we got the smell of manure on really hot days, but this is ridiculous. After Noxo, I asked with a smirk on my face. Yeah. I turned to address her as I walked toward the path at the fort of the fort itself. It's only going to get worse. You might want to apply that now. I felt the gravel with a mix of broken glass, among other pieces of garbage and trash beneath my shoes. The crunching reminded me of eating Captain Crunch. I remember loving that cereal as a kid, but as an adult, all I thought about is cutting the roof of my mouth trying to chew. I realized after all the shit that happened this morning, I forgot to eat breakfast. I knew that I was going to have to clean and buff my loafers after work, especially after walking around here. I looked at the walls of the poor fortress turned junkyard and I had to chuckle. The graffiti that was on the ramparts and the walls were covered over a billion times over from other wannabe artists who wanted to make their mark here. Enough so that there were several layers of paint. Everyone, it seemed, wanted to put their stamp on the fort themselves. The smell, which was a mixture of earth, dankness, and regret, permeated from the outside of the lower tunnels. Many a person had been caught having sex in the catacombs, or shooting up heroin, or whatever drug of choice they had. It was pathetic. What happened to this fort? I mean, why did it go into such disrepair? She walked behind me, trying not to trip on weeds and debris. You know who Endicott is? I asked her. No. I responded back honestly. Neither do I, but apparently this place, Fort Carroll and Fort Howard on the other side of the bay, was all part of that government program. Fort Carroll? You mean the island-looking thing that's out in the middle of the bay? Yep, that's Fort Carroll. There used to be a tunnel underneath this fort to get out to supply ammunition, cannon rounds, mortars, and all kinds of stuff, just in case someone wanted to invade Baltimore again by the water. Well, what happened then? I mean, why isn't this place like Fort Meade or Aberdeen? I shrugged. It became obsolete. War changed, and how to wage it. The guns and the soldiers that were manned here were taken elsewhere. During World War II, I heard that they used this place as a storage facility. A piercing scream broke through my history lesson. It sounded like a little girl was inside the inner workings of the fort. Karen looked at me. I thought you said this area was quarantined for the investigation. I thought so too, I said as I ran inside. The screams continued. They were now mixed with crying and wailing. With the concrete walls of the catacombs the way they were, I couldn't pinpoint just where she was. If she was anywhere at all. Where is she? Pointed down one end of the catacombs. You go that way. I'll head this way. Nuh-uh. We're sticking together. But... If there is anything that goes bump in the night down there, what's a fucking forty-five going to do to that? I was stunned. I thought Karen might have been spared to the horror of Vern Garvey's magic pen. But I wouldn't know for sure until later. Fine! I ran down the direction of where I thought the little girl could be. I reached a room in the catacombs where I was unprepared for what I was seeing. There was a little black girl standing in a corner. She could have been no older than three or four. She had pigtails, which I thought was cute. She was crying profusely and covered with bodily fluids. Maybe it was from the victim. The reason she was crying was that a woman was laying on the debris filled concrete in a pool of her own blood. She'd been stabbed several times, but didn't have time to counter her yet. Karen went to the girl. Hey, hey, it's okay, honey. 
It's okay. We're police officers, okay? I squatted down and took a look at the woman. I turned toward the little girl. Baby, is this your mama? <laughs> a bad man came and hurt her. She won't wake up. I shook my head. Detective Long, take her outside and inform the officers out there that we need forensics in here as soon as possible. That's what I dig about Karen. She doesn't hesitate when I give her a direct order. She was about to take the poor girl into her arms. I had to stop her. Karen realized what was going on. Oh, okay. Uh, baby, what's your name? Gigi. Okay, give me your hand, Gigi, and I'll get you out of here. The little girl followed Karen out to the room and the rest of the catacombs. This gave me time to analyze the situation. The woman on the concrete looked to be in her late 30s, African-American with dyed blonde hair and was probably about 110 pounds. Next to her was a purse that had child snacks, various important documents, cards, and money. This was not a robbery attempt. She had been stabbed with a sharp object, probably a knife, five times in the heart and chest area. The wounds were fairly fresh. The little girl saw who did this. Had to have. Minutes later, forensics came into the room. An officer was with them. Damn, Lieutenant. This room's getting a lot of use lately. I stood up and squared up. What do you mean? This is some kind of sick joke. No, no, I mean this room is where we found the other body. The one with the problem we had last time. We're starting to call this the hell room. I noticed the reason why. At the entrance to the room, someone had put a sign at the top of the entranceway saying that this was the way to hell. The forensic scientists, who were trying to add their findings on their tablets, were unable to do so. There was an electrical interference coming from the room. I looked at my cell phone, and the same thing happened. It was like a cold zone in the middle of the fort. I had to see if my new friends that I had made would be able to shed some light on this. About ten minutes later, I left the fort and walked toward the parking lot area where the police had set up shop. Karen was with an ambulance crew with a little girl. She saw me coming up from the fort and asked the paramedic to watch her for a moment. Then she came running up to me. Hey, what did you find? I kept walking while I explained. Black female, aged 39, stabbed five times in the chest. She fell where she died. And there was a purse left nearby. Wallet was found in the purse and belonged to uh, Janisha Gaffney. This little girl here is definitely her daughter. How did they get past the quarantine? I don't think they did. I think they were here before it was enforced, stuck in the catacombs. So that means... Stopped and looked her square in the eyes. It means that someone didn't do their job properly, and their fuck-up led to that little girl's mother dying. I walked up to the commanding officer of the unit that was supposed to take care of the exclusion. Who went into the tunnels to look for people? An older white police sergeant that I had never met in my life pointed toward two cops drinking coffee by a squad car. Vasquez and Jacobs went in there. I knew protocol, so I addressed their sergeant personally. Those boys on your beat are the reason that this little girl is without a mother right now? You can't blame them for that. Oh, yes I can. Unless you're the one that authorized their work, then I blame you. You would have thought that I called his mother a whore. He went right back at me. They didn't even know she was down there. People hide and seek around this place all the fucking time. Exactly. They didn't check all the places where someone can hide in there. What's worse is that a maniac was also in there with him and killed this poor girl's mother. You're supposed to be Baltimore's finest. Where's your fucking dignity? 
You boys were either lazy or they were afraid. Either way, doesn't cut it in our line of work. The sergeant was silent. I'm putting all this in my report. Let your captain figure it out. I walked away, heading back to Karen. Are you okay, Josh? You see a pattern? I bet there's going to be a mixture of piss and blood on that little girl. Oh, God. Also, think about this. The first victim on the first investigation started off with seven stab wounds. The officer who investigated had six, and now this poor woman has five. This is the same guy, and he was doing it in that room in the catacombs. Although I think our perp is clearly psychotic, why the pissing in the blood? I sighed and shook my head. I don't know, Karen. I don't know. Weeks passed. No activity from Fort Armistead. Good for the people of the Parks and Recreation crew, but shitty news for my murder investigations. I texted Calliope Matranga and told her about the activity inside Armistead and what was going on. She said that she had an operative that was going to investigate personally. I asked if I could be with them when they did, but she stressed that this wasn't going to be something that concerned me just yet. But if the killer was a supernatural threat, he wouldn't be able to use Armistead anymore as a hunting ground. The two officers who were supposed to have cleaned out Armistead were put on administrative leave with no pay. The board found them negligent in Jamisha Gaffney's murder. Their sergeant threw them under the bus faster than you could say job security. It made no difference. Young Gigi Gaffney was placed under Anne Arundel County Child Protective Services as Miss Gaffney had lived in Brooklyn Park. My investigation was taking some seriously strange turns. Each of the dead bodies had one thing in common, as if the perp was hunting them down for this reason. They all had something to do with Crownsville Hospital. Joe Smith was a patient. The police officer was a former guard there, and Miss Gaffney was a young nurse who was transferred out. The killer was going after people who were involved with Crownsville Hospital. But why Fort Armistead? What was the significance of Hell Room being a spot for three murders? I wouldn't know until we found our perp, or forensics came back with more information. It was Halloween night, and I was coming home from work to see children trick-or-treating on my block. My cell phone went off. It was Karen. Hey, Josh. Uh, what are you doing tonight? I just got done spending ten hours with you. Don't tell me you miss me, I responded as I got out of my car. Hmm, no. But I was going to go get a late dinner and wanted to know if you might want to come. Maybe we could watch some trick-or-treaters. You want me to come to your house? <laughs> well, it's an apartment, but yeah. There's a really awesome Chinese restaurant nearby. We could take it back to my apartment and watch scary movies and stuff. I needed to tread very carefully. This could be a situation that would jeopardize our working relationship. Yeah, there was a connection. Karen and I knew it. Karen. Josh, I know. <laughs> but there are some things that I really want to tell you, and I don't want to do it over the phone, and I can't do it at work. So, please. I sighed and resigned my fate to either Aphrodite or to Ares. One way or another, I was going to have some surprises tonight. We met up for dinner and drove to her apartment in Columbia. Hunan Manor was delicious, but during the entire meal, she didn't talk about us. She didn't talk about the pink elephant in the room. She just talked about work. When we got comfortable on her couch, she finally spilled the beans. Josh, do you remember Daisy Johnson? 
some weird asshole from Ibe tried to wipe my mind, but I wouldn't let him. I faked the whole thing. Do it. But this might be a plant. I had to respond carefully. Huh. She got despondent. <sighs> Shit. You don't remember. Um, okay. You came to me, and you asked me, but I wanted to make sure that they thought it worked. I, I remember everything. I remember the... I leaned in and kissed her. There was a moment she was unsure, but I felt her reciprocate the kiss as she wrapped her arms around me. I slowly pulled my lips away from hers and leaned my forehead into hers. Thank you. <sighs> for what? The kiss? I closed my eyes. No, for making me realize I wasn't alone. She responded back and caressed my cheek as tears gave down her face. You never were. My cell phone rang. What a fucking time to get a telephone call. I looked to see who it was, and it was the forensics lab. Dr. Guff probably had results. No, Josh, can't this wait until morning? It's Guff, Karen. He might have results. She let me go as I answered the phone. Lieutenant Chambers, it's, it's Doc Guff. What's going on? The results came back on the forensics. It's not good at all. What'd you find out? Well... The test results in the DNA found that the living witnesses to the murders all show links to a disease that could be catastrophic for them. Do you know what Kreutzfeldt Jakob disease is? No. Well, Lieutenant, it's basically the human version of the mad cow disease. Prions, which are basically mutated proteins, are in the blood and can access the brain of an infected person. The prions then change the brain's makeup. The brain makes them homicidal, warped, and crazy. What are you telling me, Dr. Guff? That the woman and the little girl are going to become maniacs? He sighed over the phone, as it seemed he didn't want to mess up the information. <sighs> Normally, the prions are misfolded proteins that replicate by converting the properly folded counterparts, which rapidly leads to the destruction of the brain itself. However, there's something in our perp's blood or body makeup that's causing the prions to mutate faster and more extreme. Instead of converting normal prions and destroying the brain, they're rewriting the brain tissue with the maniac's disease. Since the brain controls all functions of the body, the skin, other parts of the human host should begin to mutate as well. Dear God. Yeah, Lieutenant. With every kill and every infection, the perp is slowly growing a homicidal army. The color must have flushed out of my face because Karen mentioned it. Jesus, Josh, are you okay? I hung up the phone, not even telling Dr. Guff goodbye. No. No, I'm not okay. <laughs>